Father, we thank you that you are good all of the time. We thank you that you're good this morning. We thank you that your mercies are new today. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that in you we have hope. And Father, this is a world in need of, of hope at the moment and in need of encouragement and in need of being connected with your presence and all that your presence means. So Father, we're asking again this morning for ourselves, for those in our household, for those in our town, for our neighbours, all across this world, God, would you make yourself known in fresh ways? We thank you that you speak, you're not silent. We pray that you'd encourage us. We know that you want to. So Lord, we're asking that we would grab a hold of everything that you've got for us in this moment and in these days. Lord, you want to bless us. You're a blessing God. You're a good God. You're an abundant God. So pour out that abundance on us, Lord, even in a time of lack. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, lovely to see you, uh, everybody. Good morning. Um, welcome, I'm Tim. Welcome to my home on this beautiful morning. It's nice to see you. Uh, well, virtually see you anyway. Um, I think we're all becoming pretty familiar with Zoom and the like, if we weren't already, all these incredible technologies for which we're so grateful and the ninjas who make them all work. But actually, I discovered this week that um, Zoom has been around for 2000 years. I don't know if you knew this, but Zoom has been around for 2000 years or so. Uh, it turns out that the Last Supper also took place during a time of physical distancing. Um, and I'm loving, if I'm really honest, it's good to laugh, isn't it? We need to laugh at times like this. And I'm loving all the stuff that's going around on social media that, that causes us to giggle. Uh, I was going to call today's message um, something like how to stay ship-shape when life goes pear-shaped. I thought that would sort of fit the bill, what I wanted to say. Uh, then I realised that I actually don't know very much about ships at all. Uh, and I've always felt that the phrase pear-shaped is a bit insulting to pears, which is a noble and delicious fruit. Um, so I'm going to not call it that, but it, it's a similar idea. So instead what I've got is my, um, I've got my tube of toothpaste here. Uh, and you will all be uh, familiar with the concept that as I apply uh, pressure, stuff comes out. Uh, and actually, of course, it's supposed to. Uh, if I kept the lid on uh, and, and applied enough pressure, it, it, eventually there would be a really horrible mess. Uh, I think it's a little bit the same with you and me. Under pressure, stuff comes out. Uh, and although we don't like it very much, it's actually not a bad thing. One of the benefits of pressure is that our reactions to it give us a chance to see what's really um, inside us. The good stuff, the bad stuff, the ugly stuff, all of it really. And therefore pressure gives us opportunity, if we want to take it, to change and to grow and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and transform us and enable us just to become a bit more like Jesus day by day. Uh, the issue though is that sometimes we're not sure how to handle the more challenging stuff that comes out of us. And we can miss out on the best, therefore, that, that God has for us. So what we're considering briefly today is how to do well with what comes out of us when life closes in on us. How to do well with what comes out of us when things close in on us. Or if you wanted some, some really cheesy uh, peas on Palm Sunday, don't let the pressure prevent potential and point us down the wrong path. That's pretty cheesy, isn't it? 
don't let pressure prevent potential or point us down the wrong path. And it is Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday, so happy Palm Sunday to, to everybody, wherever you are. And, and you'll remember the story. I'm actually not going to read it from the Bible, but you remember it so well, I'm sure, all of us. In the bigger picture of things, one way we could see this story, it's a story of an awful lot of people, many of whom would uh, call themselves faithful followers of God, and they were really excited as Jesus came into Jerusalem. Uh, this man was, remember, he was ticking all the boxes, wasn't he? The donkey. Uh, the palm branches, the healing miracles, the authority of his teaching, uh, where he came from, where he was born, all of that stuff. It was all lining up with the prophecies from their ancient scriptures. And so it was raising anticipation that he was, he was going to be the promised rescuer, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who's going to deal with uh, the Roman oppression and usher in this new freedom of freedom and, and peace and prosperity. That was the story of Palm Sunday, if you remember. But then it all started going wrong for them that, <clears throat> that week, didn't it? He didn't behave like he was supposed to. I mean, what kind of conquering king doesn't raise an army or doesn't even raise his voice and doesn't rally people to his cause? What kind of king doesn't go after um, the oppressive regime, but instead takes a dig at the religious leaders and, and um, in front of his own accusers so the conclusion of the people was well he can't therefore be he can't be the one that we thought he was and then the religious uh, leaders of course they exploit the doubts that are rising in the crowd and they end up persuading those very same crowds who had cheered Jesus today on Palm Sunday to give up hope that actually he was anybody special and they even get the murderer Barabbas you'll remember the story released in his place they even get the crowd now to shout for the crucifixion, the execution of this Jesus who at the beginning of the week had promised so much but hadn't somehow delivered it. So where there had been hope, where there had been um, anticipation, even joy, now what do we find in the story at the end of the week? There's disillusion, there's confusion, there's disappointment, there's blame, there's doubt, there's hostility, there's a whole bunch of things like that. Reactions. And in their reactions to these events, under the pressure of the disappointment and the confusion, what happened? They completely missed what God was doing. They completely missed it. OK, let's make this personal then uh, and specific to this current situation with co coronavirus, COVID-D, whatever you call it. Uh, and you and me, the pressure is on. I don't think you need me to tell you that. The pressure is on. Life has closed in for almost everybody. So the question is, what do you see then under the pressure? What do you see coming out of you as life closes in on you? Are you noticing those things? I want to say quickly, of course, and Andrew's already mentioned it. People are experiencing all this in, in very varied ways. I've spoken to lots of people like you have this week. Uh, I've spoken to an NHS worker right on the front line. Uh, I've actually spoken to my sister-in-law who runs the Home Office team, she's a lawyer, who actually wrote the law that is restricting our normal freedoms at the moment. So that's an interesting role that she's got. I've spoken to somebody who's lost their income and doesn't qualify for support, actually. He's one of the 5% that don't. I've spoken to parents with young children at home. Then I've also spoken to uh, somebody whose telecoms company is just um, booming as, and shed loads of money is coming into it as we all use his technology. I've spoken to plenty of others for whom life actually is relatively straightforward. 
So we're, it, we're experiencing this all differently. Let's not make an assumption about, about what the pressure is doing or what kind of pressures we're all facing, because it's different. And actually, the reactions to the very same circumstances are, are pretty varied too. Some key workers, of course, understandably, are totally frazzled and totally stressed. Others in similar roles are actually more peaceful. Some people stuck at home are feeling really bored or lonely or frustrated or vulnerable or angry or anxious. I don't know if any of those would describe you. And then there's others actually who are quietly enjoying things, um, able to maybe invest in new projects. Maybe they've got um, capacity to help others. And actually one of their biggest challenges, I've spoken to a number of people this week, is actually trying not to feel guilty that they're really quite enjoying themselves when clearly so many others uh, are, are not in that place at all. So let's avoid the assumptions and the comparisons, that doesn't go well. But for you and for me, however you're experiencing pressure, the question is this, how well are you doing, whether it's now or under any other kind of pressure, how well are you doing in handling what comes out of you as life closes in on you? So what will help us ensure that uh, pressure doesn't point us down the wrong path, but actually helps us to maximize um, the potential, if you like, by God's grace, both as individuals, but also as Trinity, as local church, part of God's worldwide family. So I've just got three things really briefly this morning linked to this story and others. First one, really obvious. Uh, face it, um, don't fake it. Face it, don't fake it. Really simple. We need to own our own stuff. I, th I think there's a kind of um, what I would call a pseudo-Christian kind of religiousness and maybe even a bit of Britishness that sometimes wants to deny or suppress these big emotions and reactions that come out of us under pressure or maybe um, or maybe just diminish them or sort of deflect them. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that there's quite a bit of pride behind that. You know, a good Christian um, shouldn't be feeling anxious or, or shouldn't be feeling angry or shouldn't be feeling helpless or something like that. So I'll just keep keep quiet and call it something else that makes me look a bit better. That's, that's a pretty useless strategy. And by the way, have you read the Psalms recently? Um, Hills and I read a Psalm every morning, we have done for years. Uh, and one of the reasons we love it is because all human emotion is, the, is right there, isn't it? Anger and disappointment and hostility and, uh, and all of that. God, I'm frightened. God, I'm, I'm jealous. God, I'm bitter. God, I'm fragile. All of that. So actually, I, I'm always pretty encouraged, uh, and I, I myself have had to go on a journey with this, but I'm pretty encouraged when I hear people as I have this week owning their own reactions, owning what they're feeling about the pressure, what they see in themselves about what's coming out in consequence, and they're facing that reality. I'm feeling terrified, said somebody. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling a failure because I'm not coping better, whatever, whatever. And obviously, we don't wear those, those feelings and, and reactions as a kind of badge of honor. But to deny them is not only prized, it's actually what my friend would call the spirit of stupid, uh, if I can say that politely, because it denies us the opportunity to let God into all of that stuff and to grow. So face it, don't fake it, very simply. Second, ask slowly, don't answer quickly. What do I mean? I mean, when we're under pressure and our emotions are really noisy, um, uh, there's a strong temptation, isn't there, to draw our own conclusions quite quickly from our own painful experiences and to answer our own questions and then act accordingly. It's just part of our desire to move on. We don't like the, uh, the discomfort, we wanna find comfort, so that's what we, what we can do. So here are the people in Jerusalem after uh, Palm Sunday. Jesus didn't do 
effectively they're saying what I thought that he would do. He didn't turn out to be who I thought he would turn out to be. He didn't do what I thought he was going to promise. And so I'm disappointed and I'm angry and I'm confused. Conclusion, answering quickly, so he can't be the saviour. So he's not the Messiah. Quick answer, no asking of questions. So I'll reject him. So I'm going to go somewhere else. That's what they did. I spoke to somebody in a different church in a different town this week um, who's got all kinds of challenges going on, including some financial ones because of these circumstances. And there are big fears there about the future. Uh, and this person certainly wasn't in denial about his, uh, his reactions or what's coming out of him as life closes in on him. He said, I'm scared, Tim. I'm, I'm angry. Um, it's not fair. I don't know how I'm going to provide. But then sadly, what he'd done was to make a very quick conclusion. And so he went on, God's really let me down. It wasn't supposed to be like this. He hasn't helped me. Effectively, God isn't good. He's not a loving father. His word can't be trusted. And that man has withdrawn from fellowship. He's put his Bible away. He's stopped praying. And of course, therefore, actually, he's put himself in a, in a position where it's much harder for God to reach him, to show him where his fears are actually coming from, to grow him in, in trusting God as provider. You see, pressure brings stuff to the surface, and then we have a choice to make. And how I make those choices is going to be determined in quite a large part by where I get my conclusions from. So if I get them, if I get my, if I draw my conclusions, I answer quickly from the experience of the pressure, from my feelings, then I'm in for a roller coaster ride. We, we know that, right? Uh, it's the equivalent of saying, it's sunny, I feel good, so God must love me. It's raining, I feel sad, so God's forgotten me. He doesn't exist. He's unreliable. He's he's waiting for me to improve. He's punishing me. Some other uh, conclusion that's not really very healthy until, of course, it's sunny again. But if I get my conclusions from my experience of God's nature, not my feelings uh, and, and the painful experiences, and, and I get them from his word and from my faith, then I'm on more solid ground. Sometimes it's sunny. Sometimes it's rainy. I far prefer uh, one to the other. But God, you're good. God, you're good. God, you're loving. Even when I don't understand, even when I don't experience it. So even in the rainy times, as it were, which I don't like and I don't understand, you promise to help me. It's a kind of fight or flight thing, isn't it? Ask slowly or answer quickly. Will I go to God? I'm asking now, even myself and you this morning, if, if stuff is coming out, where will I go to God with all of it? Will I go to God with my pain? Will I go to God with my fear, my emotion, my stuff? Even when those emotions might even be directed at God, he can cope with that. Will we decide to face that stuff with him or without him? Will we wrestle? Will we get help from other people? Will we dig in? Will we remember his past faithfulness to us? Stuff that we've just been singing about as Jamie's led us. What he promises in his word. Will I surrender my need to understand all of that and just choose trust? I'm not suggesting it's easy. But if we don't do that, then on the basis of our painful experiences and our feelings, we're going to conclude that God isn't really very good. And we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to find someone else or something else, some other God to trust. And I have to say, what would that be for you? What would that be for me? Where else would we go? Jesus said that to Peter, didn't he? Will you, are you going to leave me as well, Peter? And Peter said, well, where would I go? You've got the words of eternal life. I don't understand, but God, I'm going to, I'm going to dig in and do this with you, not without you. I'm going to handle this time of pressure. As I see the stuff coming out of me as life closes in, I'm going to do it with you, not without you. 
So face it, don't fake it. Ask slowly. That means ask God. Take it to God slowly. Don't, don't answer quickly. Let's not come to hasty conclusions about God on the basis of what's going on. Third thing, last thing. I want, I want to say this quite strongly because I, I feel it passionately, actually. We need to remember um, that we are part of a bigger story that God is writing. See, under pressure, what comes out when life closes in is our immediate reaction, isn't it, to what's going on, what we're feeling. And makes it a lot harder to see the bigger picture. And, and I get that. It's quite hard when, when our feelings dominate the landscape. But think about Palm Sunday again. So after Palm Sunday, the events of Easter week unfold. The pressure of disappointment, the confusion. They led God's people to the conclusion that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. God had not delivered. And of course, in fact, the exact opposite was true. What Jesus was doing was a far, what God was doing in Jesus was a far better, far bigger thing as he moved towards the cross. Far from being the failure and the defeat that they saw or witnessed it as. Jesus' death, his resurrection, it was the very plan of God. It was the divine plan. It was the means by which that rescue operation was being fulfilled to deal with our sins, to deal with my selfishness, to offer uh, freedom to offer new life to offer forgiveness and eternal hope to all mankind that was the bigger picture they completely missed it see god doesn't exist to deliver things on our terms that would make him like some kind of um aladdin wouldn't it some genie of the lamp he's delivering on his terms which by the way are so much better than ours and he's calling us to join him his command is my wish, we might put it. Not my command, his wish. But the people of God, they didn't see it, did they? Even the disciples who, who'd been told that it would happen, they missed it, they didn't trust. So eyes of faith, I meant to bring Hills's pink glasses. Think of the pink glasses from last, uh, last Sunday. We need eyes of faith, don't we? We need a willingness to lift our eyes of faith beyond the immediate pressures, as hard as that is. Even in the midst of trial, even with all our, our, our noisy and, um, and, and messy emotions going on, to ask what the Father is doing, to see what he wants to do on that bigger scale, in us and through us, in his church and through his church. One of my favourite uh, songs at the moment is The Father's House by Corey Asprey, the guy who wrote Reckless Love. And there's a line in that song which says this, the story isn't over if the story isn't good. The story isn't over if the story isn't good. Why? Because God is the specialist in bringing good things out of bad things. Remember Romans 8, 28, favorite verse for so many of us. God works in all things for the good of those who love him. All things, even this thing, who are called according to his purpose. And one day, of course, all pain, all suffering will end for everybody who calls on his name. In Aslan's language, there's a, there's a deeper magic at work. There's a story behind what our physical eyes and senses are, are, emotion, are, are experiencing. Friends, I'm not trying to uh, offer any easy answers to pain. There's a lot of pain out there, and maybe you're one of those people experiencing it very acutely. There's no false comfort here that I'm, I'm offering in this scenario or, or any other. For some of us at the moment, it is really tough, and your greatest need may just be comfort. That might be your overriding need. And God is your great comforter. I pray he'd encourage you today with that. Maybe your need is healing. He's the great physician. We cry out to healing and we need to continue. Maybe it's grace just to get through this because for you, it's so hard that just getting through would be a victory in itself. 
and God is the giver of all of that grace. But would you let me just go a, a bit further with this? The call on the church as a whole is way, way bigger in this time than just getting through it and even helping others to get through it. God's priority is never to wrap the church in cotton wool to shield us from challenge. And our priority cannot be to be on the back foot, to be on the defensive. So sure, we are called uh, to care and to love and to serve each other with the love of God and to bless those around us, especially the vulnerable. That is Christianity 101 and nothing, nothing's changing there. Most of the country, by the way, are doing that right now. It's great to behold, isn't it? Not just the church. Really good to see all the volunteering, all the neighborhood groups and so on. But friends, there is a war on. And surely we would agree that in this extraordinary season, there is also an extraordinary opportunity. There is a compelling uh, call for the church worldwide to fight, to go on the front foot, not the back foot, to take up an offensive position. And as Andrew said earlier, to do the, the one distinctive thing that only the church of Jesus Christ can do. Maybe there's more than one thing, but this is the prime thing. God needs a church that goes down on its knees in prayer, unites in, in repentance and in humility to Chronicles 7.14, right? We're getting the, the daily prayer based on that every morning. That shakes off, a church that shakes off apathy. I'm really challenged by that. Apathy means without passion, without even suffering for a good cause. A church that confronts fear, a church that rises up to fight effectively, to destroy the works of the evil one, and then advances the kingdom of God with everybody playing our unique part. That is the bigger story that the Lord wants to write and it always has been of course but it can only be written as we his people respond in obedience to him and we call on him to move in power it's where it all starts we need we need to call on him to move in power once again across this land so i'm really encouraged to read that new prayer movements are starting churches are uniting across denominations there's a survey that says uh, on the internet that, that the search for prayer uh, is going up exponentially People are petitioning the Queen and the Prime Minister to call a National Day of Prayer. By the way, don't miss the Queen speaking tonight. Pray for her. God seems to be mobilising his people. I read, a, I read an amazing prophecy from 1986, a guy called David Wilkerson. And I'm coming into land with this in a minute. He said this in 1986. This is a guy at the evangelist and preacher and prophetic man connected with the cross and the switchblade. If you don't know the story, uh, Google him. David Wilkerson, a respected voice. He said this in 1986. I see a plague coming on the world and the bars, the churches, the governments and so on will shut down. The plague will hit New York and shake, shake New York like it's never been shaken. The plague's going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles. And repentance will be the cry from the person of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come another great awakening that will sweep America and the world. I don't know what you make of that. And we need to exercise discernment. But we ignore trusted prophetic voices at our peril. There is a worldwide shaking going on. God didn't send the virus, but he's not averse to a shaking and because in his love for humanity shaking is sometimes what we need to awaken the church when we're sleepy and we're weak and though the passionate the passionate prayers of a, of, a, of a rededicated refocused church are needed aren't they to awaken people across the world to the reality of the risen jesus savior creator king and we can't afford to miss out let me finish no one loves pressure 
No one loves pressure, least of all when it comes in the form of a pandemic. So let's pay attention to what's coming out of us when life closes in on us. And we're asking that Jesus would give us grace to respond in a way that grows us, honours him, takes us to our knees and helps to change the world. Amen. Let's pray. And then I'll hand back to Andrew and Nikki. Father, that's, thank you that uh, we can have complete confidence in you. We recognize that there's a shaking, maybe we're shaken. We certainly see it around us. We see it across your world. But God, thank you that you never waste anything. We pray that this won't be wasted. We pray, Father, that you will bless us to step into all that you've got for us. Pray that you'd minister your love to us. We pray that you'd minister all that we need, minister your comfort. We pray for comfort where it's required. We pray for healing where it's needed. God, we pray for strength for those on the front lines who just need the resilience to keep going. We're asking, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us, that you'd bless us, you'd watch over us. But Lord, that you'd help us to, to go to our knees. We pray that you would rise, raise up your church to fight effectively in this time. And we pray, Father, most of all, that you'd send your spirit in a fresh outpouring, a fresh move of God across this nation, that hearts would be turned to you and lives would be changed. We're asking in Jesus' name.